Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rise for Racial Justice, the podcast. I'm Bernetta Parson, and on this show, we bring you the finest thought leaders in the anti-racist and education realms with the goal of sharing resources for liberation, transformation, consciousness raising, and anti-racist action. Our guest today is a friend of Rise for Racial Justice. Robin Mallison Alpern is the Director of Training at the Center for the Study of White American Culture, an organization that seeks to achieve a racially just and equitable society by decentering white culture and centering an anti-racist multicultural culture free of white supremacy. Robin is an expert on, among other things, countering white fragility, the cost of systemic racism for white people, and raising anti-racist children. Robin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Penny. Thank you for having me. So great to have you here. I know I've talked to people who are affiliated with Rise for Racial Justice and who are um, part of the organization and who talk wonders about you. So really, really happy to have you here. I also have been very helped in my own learning and training by the RISE organization. I was fortunate to be contacted by Colette Can uh, back in 2017 to collaborate together on classes teaching teachers about teaching children anti-racism. And I, I learned so much from Colette and from my work together with RISE over the years. Great, great. Um, so I, I do want to talk to you about raising anti-racist children, but I want to start with your own childhood. What did you learn about race as a child? So I'm a cisgender white woman, and I grew up in a white family. My parents were Quakers, and that was a profound influence on me throughout my childhood. Unlike a lot of white American kids, I grew up knowing that there's such a thing as racism and that we're against it and we need to do something about it. So that I feel really uh, set me up for a lifetime of being concerned about racial justice and what is my part to play in it. And so when you say that you were aware of it, did your parents talk to you about it? Did, um, or was that just the community that was very aware of it? And what was that like? It was my family, my parents. I, I lived in a predominantly white town in upstate New York where uh, people did not talk about racism, You know, certainly did not think we had anything to do with racism, uh, but it was in my home, in my family, that there was conversation about that. And, um, you know, it was just an, an ongoing feature. I found out from reading a journal of my mother's from when I was three years old that my family hosted a white man named Glenn Smiley, who was um, traveling the country talking about race and racism. He turned out to actually be one of those people who worked with Dr. Martin Luther King and, um, 
supposedly was was one of the people responsible for supporting Dr. King to choose nonviolence as his form of work. So, you know, that was someone who was in my home for a week when I was a small child. And there are many other instances of where my parents were hosting and in other ways partnering with folks who were working for racial justice. It, it was just an ongoing feature of life in my family. That's really amazing. And I think it's, uh, it's an unusual experience for you know, the average white person. It is, and it, and it really makes it so clear to me what a difference it makes how white people in particular parent our children. Because as you say, most white kids grow up absent that kind of atmosphere and teaching and commitment. And so therefore, you know, all of us are very subject to the status quo, the society at large. Um, people like to think that, that little kids are innocent of race and racism. They just don't know about it. They don't see it. But the fact is that the society impinges upon children starting in their infancy. And so white children, absent that kind of training and education and culture in their home, they just absorb what is available in the culture at large, which is institutional racism, internalized racism. It's now racism all the way. And so you talked about little children being aware of race. Can you talk a little bit about the stages where where children kind of are aware of race and identity? Yeah, um, there are a lot of resources on that at this point. One that's well known is an article called Even Babies Discriminate. And it talks about the science and the research that shows that from infancy, children begin to recognize race as a feature. And that's just a natural human thing, you know, because we, we observe, we have to in order to survive, we must observe things in our environment. So even infants are able to recognize racial difference. And then by the age of three, by the age of three years old, children are beginning to categorize people by race and express bias based on race. And a lot of folks do not believe this and do not know it because children also recognize that there's something about this topic. You know, there's a lot of tension around it. It's taboo to talk about this. And so children, you know, they're smart. They become very adept at hiding conversations that they're having. So they may well be using language that we would be horrified by, and they know we would be, and so they use it when we're not around, we the adults. <laughs> so by age three, children are already starting to discriminate based on race. And so that's even more important by the time they get to school. Yes, yes, absolutely. I, I've, I've read someplace that there's a developmental window, or at least researchers believe there may be a developmental window for learning um, positive racial attitudes. They don't happen to say what that window is, but I would assume it's, you know, early childhood, which certainly doesn't mean that if your child now is 12, that you missed that window and, oh, well, <laughs> I won't bother teaching them to be anti-racist. I did want to ask you about white children and Black children in particular, their perception of Blackness. 
Well, the glaring fact is that white culture teaches that it is superior and white people are the best. And uh, due to colorism, uh, which is the, you know, the privileging of people, the lighter their skin is, um, due to that, people who have black skins are at the bottom of the heap, if you will. They are uh, disrespected the most by white, white culture. And so white children are learning that they, as white people, are superior, are just better in, in every possible way. And that people with black skins are not good people, um, you know, not moral, uh, not hardworking, uh, not thrifty, you know, not all the kinds of values that we place on white folks. And so that's just something that, that white kids are absorbing. You know, I, I wanted to ask you this question because there, there becomes a, a time and black parents or black guardians who, you know, people who are taking care of black children where they may uh, have to have this talk about racism. And it's a really hard talk for, you know, the, the caregiver to have because it takes away some of the innocence, a lot of the innocence of a, a young black child you know, to know that they are going to encounter racism or someone may think that you're not as smart as, um, or, you know, as hardworking as uh, um, someone else. And so I wanna ask that you as someone who is uh, trying to help the world <laughs> raise anti-racist children, what would the counterpoint be for white parents? I love that. First of all, I want to say that, again, looking at the research, 75% um, of white parents do not ever talk with their kids, their white children, about race. Whereas in families of color, it tends to be a daily conversation to talk about race and racism. So, um, you know, just talking about race and racism at all, never mind the talk, but just talking about it is a hugely important factor for white children. And then trying to think about the talk. Um, I, I haven't honestly condensed it. I'm a person who, who would be inclined to, you know, that talk is probably gonna be about three weeks long. Um, <laughs> uh, so um, I, I should think about what would be the main points. So, and right off the top, um, a couple of main points are to acknowledge that we are white because there again, um, white people get away with being the norm, the, you know, the, just the, the uh, status quo, the neutral, uh, we're just people. Well, so right away to, to educate my child that, well, actually there are people of many different races in our world and we are white people. And then further to educate my child that there is such a thing as systemic racism. It, it's an institutional blight disaster that does play out for in individuals. So that would be part of the talk is to uh, teach about systemic racism. And I'm thinking right now about um, all of the freak out 
about critical race theory across the yeah. country. And it occurs to me that one of the things I keep hearing is that white parents don't want their white children to be exposed to conversation um, because they're afraid their kids are going to feel shamed and blamed and lose their innocence. And so, you know, the talk um, would have to involve helping the white child to learn that, yeah, there's an ugly, ugly history and current reality of how white people have behaved and have treated people of color. And we don't need to feel ashamed and blamed. In fact, we need to not because we know that that paralyzes people. What we need to do is to commit ourselves to be in action against all of that and you know, do everything we can to make the world a better place. You know, so you, you actually went right into that question that I had because there is a lot of fear I hear you know, from parents, I know in, in North Carolina, school board voted to, to ban um, CRT and any references to white supremacy or, you know, anything like that, because they didn't want their children to feel shame and guilt. And I think for me, there's something that's a little bit off with that, because, you know, there, there's not this, this understanding necessarily of what Black parents have to do. For their kids, so how do you how do you talk in general to white parents and specifically to that area? That is a great question. Um, uh, one thing is to talk about the fact that the shame and the blame is already there. Make no mistake, white people may be extremely unconscious of it, but in general we are all carrying a heavy load of guilt and shame and blame and self-doubt because we can't help but know somewhere in the fiber of our being that I'm on top of the world and I can't remember how I climbed up here. I just somehow wound up here on top of all these other people who are suffering. So, um, so, the, the shame and the blame and the self-doubt and the guilt and all of that, it's already there. Talking about the issues, talking about the history, talking about what's going on now, that actually helps people to relieve that unconscious burden and begin to grapple with the reality. As I said, uh, um, a really important uh, remedy for those feelings of blame and shame is to choose. Okay, you know, I can't help being a white person. I can't help being complicit in the system, but I can help not going along with it to the best of my ability. I can help being the best anti-racist racial justice warrior I possibly can. Okay, um, so thank you. That That's a really, I think, good start for someone who is wrestling with those issues. Um, so we are going to take a quick break and we'll come right back with more from Robin. If you are interested in learning more about racial literacy, please check out the Rise for Racial Justice website at riseforracialjustice.org and see what courses and resources are available. Rise for Racial Justice is committed to preparing, supporting, 
and empowering young people, families, and schools to rise for racial justice. If you like what you're hearing, and we hope you do, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. Okay, so we are back with Robin Mallison Alpern, who is Director of Training at the Center for the Study of White American Culture. I wanted to kind of get into the idea of resistance, right? We talked a little bit about parents who are afraid about their children, but I wanted to talk to you about, like, how do you deal with resistance on a school or community-wide level? Uh, that, that honestly is a little bit beyond my, my bailiwick. Um, however, let me see what I can say about it because definitely since racism is institutional, in my view, that means that our anti-racism also needs to be institutional. So, and that implies banding together. So that's the first thing that I would say, um, parents and educators who wanna see change in their school, you need to find your colleagues. However you can go about that, you need to you know, form a coalition, uh, form a committee, you know, whatever kind of a group, because if you try to challenge that system by yourself, you may, you probably won't get far. You may actually do harm. You yourself could get harmed in the process. So it's, it's always critical to find the other people that see things the way you do and uh, work with them to bring about change. And then from there, of course, there's lots of different ways you can go about it. You might think about um, influencing the election of uh, officers to the school board. You know, that's gonna make a big difference who's on your board of education. And there's many other routes. <laughs> it's just not my, my strongest suit. Okay. Um, I guess for one of my last questions, I wanted to ask you personally, like what has it meant to you to raise children who are anti-racist? Well, I'm going to tell you in all honesty, I, um, despite my Quaker upbringing, I did not really know a lot about internalized racism and institutional racism until I was in my 40s. Mm -hmm. So my parents were of the colorblind era, and although they were opposed to racial prejudice, they did not really understand about teaching me about my whiteness. So that came later for me. And I actually, my, my children came along as I was beginning to learn about racism myself. So I would have to say that in their early years, I was not consciously so much trying to teach them anti-racism, but what I was doing was I was trying to educate myself because that's when I was you know, beginning to understand about the, the larger phenomenon. And in the process, my children got brought along <laughs> on the journey. And so, um, you know, a little bit in the same way that I, as a child, lived in a house where this, you know, Glenn Smiley was there talking about anti-racism for a week. My children, you know, were similar. Um, they would see me going out night after night after night to these meetings and classes and lectures and so on about race and racism. Uh, when my youngest two were three years old, 
my family decided to host a black man who had been formerly incarcerated and he lived in our home for three years and he and I became uh, very close anti-racist colleagues. We, we uh, you know, lectured together and held workshops together and so on. And so again, even though I, I in a way was not consciously setting out to teach my children anti-racism, the modeling was intense. <laughs> <laughs> they got it <laughs> they did they did i'm i'm very proud to say all all four of my and my children are white my my former husband is a white man so my my children are white children um young adults at this time and they all are are strong anti-racists and they teach me so much you know because i can't always keep up with <laughs> with everything but they'll teach me those just the other day one of my kids said you know mom that word is kind of um kind of problematic and um, you might want to think about this language instead, you know, so they, they teach me it's coming back full circle. Uh, that's wonderful. That's really great. All right. So before we go, I always ask guests to share what is lighting them up or what is soothing their soul. And so I'm going to ask you, um, we can start with what are you reading? You know, several years ago, I heard somebody say, I don't read books, I read in books. <laughs> and I have to say, that's kind of me. I, I rarely get from beginning to end, but I have so many books going that I'm, you know, a chapter here, chapter there. So two of my, the ones I have on my shelf right now, um, and you will understand why, one of them is Critical Race Theory by Richard Delgado and uh, Jean Stefanczyk, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. So, you know, just trying to really educate myself more about what is critical race theory. Um, and I'm also really loving this book called Against White Feminism, Notes on Disruption. And that is by a woman named Rafia Zakaria. Um, that's a topic I'm very interested in. And, and, and I might even say it's something that's lighting me up. Um, <laughs> um, I'm really interested as a white woman in understanding and learning more about how white women have been complicit from the beginning in this country in constructing white supremacy culture. Yeah, I said a little bit about what you were an expert in, but that also is one of your areas of expertise is um, white women and racism, systemic racism, I guess. Yeah. Yep. yep. Okay. And so what are you watching? <laughs> I'm a little embarrassed to say, because honestly, I only watch TV at the very end of the day when my brain is dead and the best I can do is turn on the TV set. Um, but I have had a lot of fun watching Marlon, M-A-R-L-O-N. Um, it's a, a comedy, um, all black cast. And I, Marlon, he actually makes me break out laughing out loud. I just love that. So... <laughs> I, I've heard of that, um, but I haven't, I haven't caught it. Maybe I will now. <laughs> it's on Netflix. I highly recommend it. <laughs> okay. And then um, finally, what are you listening to? Um, I listen to music. I, I don't listen to podcasts too much. I, I hope I'll listen to this one because I'm recording it. So, um, I <laughs> 
Um, and I definitely got to listen to Dr. Kim Williams because um, she's somebody I've also worked with who is terrific. Um, but I, I listen to music a lot. I really enjoy music that is upbeat, that is fast, you know, give me some hard rock. Um, <laughs> that is also something that makes life worth living. Okay. So I want to thank again, Robin Mallison Alpern, who is director of training at the Center for did I lose the title? The Center uh, for the Study of White American Culture. It's a yes. mouthful. It's about? It's a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I don't know why I'm having such a problem with that. You know what? People usually do. And I, in fact, I, I sometimes ask them to just don't even try, just hand it over to me and I'll, I'll say it. I'm, <laughs> I'm serious. It's, it's a tough one. I am so sorry. <laughs> no, I'm serious. You are not the first to um, have a little trip over that name. You know, you know what I think it is, to be honest? I think it's like no one ever says white American culture. There like you nobody's go. There and you go. So, <laughs> there you I think go. like, yeah, I think <laughs> I had a, a little block there. We, we often have to have a conversation with people about, no, we're not skinheads. Um, right. <laughs> you know, we're actually strongly, proudly anti-racist. And guess what? For us, that entails studying white people and their culture. Right, right. You know, this is how hard it is for people to talk about whiteness and white culture because Absolutely. of how we've all been brainwashed. Absolutely. That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna get it. <laughs> okay, all right. I believe in you, Penny. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you again to Robin Mallison Alpern. She is the director of training at the Center for the Study of White American Culture. Make sure you look for an upcoming workshop that they'll be holding that actually is highlighting their mission. It's called Decentering Whiteness and Building Multicultural Community. It'll be on November 9th, and you can find out more about it on their website at cswac.org. And I invite you back for our next episode when we continue the conversation about anti-racism and education on RISE for Racial Justice, the podcast.